Hello and welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Downstage Center. My name is David Cromer.、Um, I'm the director of、uh, the new Nina Rain play Tribes, which is playing at the Barrow Street Theatre, which、uh, I'll say only a few more times. And I'm joined today by one of the stars of Tribes, Jeff Still, who plays the role of Christopher, the father. In Tribes, Jeff and I have known each other a long time. I guess that's the nature of shows like this. How long have we、I、known each other? Jo- oh, that was my first question. Yeah, because <laughs> that was I, your question to me. That、you、was my question to you. I thought we would kick it off because, I mean, it's I do not know that it's late eighties. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. we had to have met in the late eighties sometime.、Yeah. So it's been over twenty years. That's the easy answer. I don't remember the first time. I just remember us all swimming in the same Chicago soup for you、yeah. know a decade or so before we really worked together the first yeah, time. Yeah, for a long time. I, I I remember being aware of you. I was trying to think of then. I was trying to think. I couldn't think of a year, but I was like when I became aware of you. I would say it would be around the time when DePaul and Jeff was in. Uh, how do we say this?、Um, uh, Anna Shapiro, the director,、uh, yeah. the、uh, wonderful director of、uh, August Osage County, and m- m- many other things,、uh, was a classmate of mine in the directing program at Columbia College, and she was dating、uh, an actor <laughs> at DePaul University,、yeah. which was another acting school in Chicago. And she started producing theater very early on at her company, Big Game Theater. And I、yeah. first became aware of you in one of those shows. I think it would probably be. Just with that crowd, like the two、yeah. schools kind of met,、right. jets and sharks like. Yes, over yes. <laughs> from Danny Shapiro, because Lauren Lazarine <laughs> was friends with Mike McCune, and because、yeah. we sat around one day and we said we want to do Glengarry Glen Ross, and Lauren said, "My friend uh, Mike, uh, his girlfriend Anna likes to direct." <laughs> we we were sitting around having coffee. We literally got in the car, drove over there. At that moment, she was there, he was there, Mike was there. And we walked in and said, "Would you direct us in Glengarry? You can cast us however you want, and you can put Mike in the show too." It's incredibly naive,、um, and but she said yes, and、uh, we, we did it as a late night, yeah, yeah, ten thirty start. And、um, so I feel like that's around the time I yeah, became worried. Now, who else is in that show? That's you. That's directed Tracy, by Anna Shapiro yeah, and Tracy Letts. Tracy Letts was in the show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you think about some of the, I mean, all of us back there and the people that are still standing now, and the fact that I've known Tracy since he was sixteen and Mike Shannon since、yeah. he was sixteen, yeah, yeah, and you since you were twelve, 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 <laughs> like eleven or twelve, yeah, yeah. We're at the point where we're making jokes about how we're not as old as we are, and that's、yes. really sad. So what are we going <laughs> to do? We interview each other ten years from now? Yeah, like, ten years ago we thought we were old. <laughs> no. You had come to Chicago to go to graduate school, right? But you had、right. already been in New York for a while before、right. that. I was living in New York from '84 to '86.、Uh-huh. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, temping by day and doing off off Broadway by night stuff like Line, which is still running at the Thirteenth Street Theater. I was in Line、wow. and Indian Wants the Bronx, which at that time had been running seven. I think at that time that had been running seven years or nine years, and、uh, Line had been running a couple of years more. And、uh, Indian Wants the Bronx closed while I was in it. We once did it. <laughs> It's a three-person show that、yeah. we once did for one person.、Uh, we were about to cancel, and somebody said, "Wait, someone showed up," and it was a director, so we had to do it. I, I did a I did a kids show at、um, uh, that Bernie Solins put together at the、uh, Museum of Science and Industry in the late nineties, where there were five of us in the show, and we would perform for school groups in this small theater in the museum who would come in, and and we would perform this ridiculous, ridiculous thing. And I remember there was a group of students whose bus arrived, and when the bus arrives, you have to go, and we were. Performing for a group of students, and the show is about thirty-five minutes long, and you slowly start to see them f- start to file out, and all of them left. So the point where like, we're doing the show as they're all sort of filing out, 
And then we sort of all, we kept performing until, you know, it's one of those doors with the slow spring on it. You know, it closes oh really oh, slowly. Yeah. So we kept talking <laughs> until we saw the door just, just close. And then we were able to stop. Oh, so, and that's, it that's screwed up our performance count. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, cause that was only half a, half a show. Let me ask you, I've never asked you this and it's strange because we have known each other for a really long time. Do you remember when you first got interested in being an actor or when that idea first occurred to you? Well, um, I can tell you this, that from the time I was a kid, I wanted to be a baseball broadcaster. That was my dream. And uh, I even went to college. I majored in journalism. That was the dream. And then I, I at one point, I was... I moved from New Jersey to San Antonio, Texas, and I was going to an open house at a place called Trinity University. And the night before, the chairman of that department had been murdered in what would become a big scandal, a uh, big, you know, sex with students, homosexuals, you know, scandal of, of the 1970s at Trinity University. But they didn't cancel the open house. They kept it open. I just that department was in disarray. Mm. So I just wandered over to the theater department, and there was a guy sitting there. He looked like... He looked like an older Gomez. He looked like an older John Astin uh, just sitting there. And he said his name was uh, Eugene McKinney, and he was the playwright in residence. And we just started talking. And I I don't know why. I think I'd always in the back of my mind been a little interested but had been very scared of trying it. And I said, isn't it – I remember saying this to him. I said, isn't it risky to go to college and major in theater? And he said, it could be risky to go to college and major in accounting. You may as well major in something you want to. And I thought, I don't know why, but I thought I'm going to give this a shot. So when the thought first occurred to me – it may have been like rolling around in my in my head from the time I was little and I would just pretend to be on the bridge of the Enterprise. I didn't know that I wanted to be an actor then. Yeah. I knew that I wanted to be on the Enterprise. And so I started when I was 20 at San Antonio College. And from the first time I, I stepped on a stage in, in, in just a class, I thought, oh, this feels like home. I didn't realize it was that late. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, realize I didn't you do were any uh, acting. Grown. I was yeah, I didn't do any acting as a teenager or anything. It was, I was 20. Was there anyone in your family who was involved in the arts in any way? My sister, uh, Mickey, uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she was an actor, actor in high school and then after high school. And I remember being a little interested then because she was doing a production of Come Blow Your Horn. And I can remember like running lines with her and I thought, this is fun. You have this little book. It was such a, yeah. a funny little book and it had all the words in it. You didn't have to think of anything to say. They were there for you. I thought, this is a good way to go. And she won Best Actress in high school, and she beat out Susan Sarandon. My sisters went to school <laughs> with Susan Sarandon. She was in between them in age. And mm. like, it was literally like they were announcing it, and Susan was like starting to oh, stand yeah. up. And my sister, who I think had been in Bus Stop or something and chewed gum or Street Scene yeah. or something like that, uh, and we had this trophy at the house. Oh. And any time anybody acted up, usually me at the dinner table, my father would say, get the trophy. And somebody would literally get the trophy and put it in front of you at the dinner table and you were embarrassed. Maybe then. Maybe that's when yeah. I decided to be an actor and never thought about that's that. Interesting. The, the thing you said that's interesting, too, is when you when you realize that you've stumbled into some odd job. It's a little about the way I feel about directing, but um, you stumble into whatever job you end up in. And then you look back and you see all signs pointed to it. So you yes. feel like remember when you were a kid, that was... Yeah, I do. I do because I, I, when I look back on it, I can see that I always like to pretend and mm -hmm. I'd like pretend to be asleep in front of the babysitter and I would pretend with nobody watching all the time. So I grew up just thinking everybody was looking at me all the time, which, which came to serve me well, yeah. you know, uh, uh, later, but I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And, and did you start, you started as an actor? I mean, you didn't. 
I auditioned for the fourth grade play because it was Alice in Wonderland, and my mother read me Alice in Wonderland repeatedly. It was her favorite book. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. They're doing a play of it. So I auditioned for it, and and like you said, you know, and this is probably most people's story. story. You you did it, and you it felt like home. You were like, oh, this makes sense. This feels great being here. This is this is fantastic. I liked the idea of going to rehearsal. I liked the right. idea of I couldn't believe when it was over, you know, yeah. all the way to, all the way up to one of, one of the things about sort of the life of this is there's an enormous amount of prep and sometimes, you know, that sh- we did that show twice. You yeah. know, like we rehearsed for however, yeah. who knows. Two years. Yeah, two yeah. years <laughs> and then performed <laughs> and it twice. Sixth and, grade. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. And then, and then, um, the run's very short. In, in college, you you do four, six, eight performances right. or something, and you you and then of course when you get out in Chicago, where we're from, you always get your five week run no matter what because it's right. always a not for profit. Whereas here, you come here, you open your show, and you can close in two days. So yes. it's really that doesn't change. Yes, that makes. I think that and when it, people always like to ask about the difference in Chicago actors and New York actors and stuff, and I said, boy, I tell you, that's a big difference. You know, it really, ch- I mean, when you, first of all, in Chicago, there have always been less distractions. So you can easily do the play. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be called out to do a law and order or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So you do the play and you do it for five or six weeks. And after you've been doing it long enough, maybe you get your whole season lined up. But here in New York, when you're not, you know, you, you, well, you hope the show runs, then it gets the good reviews and you say, okay, how long is it going to run? Now, how long am I going to stay with it? Now, when do I start looking for something else? And I actually think that changes the way you approach the work. Absolutely. Because part of your head is always thinking about the next thing, and, and it is, it is different. It goes to just the nature of the, the way the, the way the organizations are laid out. It is the difference between almost every theater in Chicago is a not-for-profit. I've never been able to explain not-for-profit well, even though I've worked at them, but you can get terrible reviews and you can have no house, but the show's essentially been paid for by the funds of the theater. So you're still going to do your six weeks mm. of run. And you're going to go out there and try to get your friends to come and, oh, we got, we have more people in the audience tonight than in the show. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, you know, the exciting thing is you're always going to do your run, even if it's just an abject failure. Whereas here, it's gone the next day. If it, if it's a disaster, it, or, you know, in the case of, I, I did, I did one, I did the one, the first play I directed on Broadway was closed in nine days, you know, yeah. and then, and then, uh, it's just gone. We've been very lucky with, um, Jeff and I have worked quite a bit, um, with, uh, at the Barrow Street Theater where we're doing Tribes. Tribes. Yes, Tribes. Rain. The Barrow Street Theater. 27 uh, Barrow Street. 20, is that where, is that where, the, they, yeah. is that where they have it's it now? 20, yeah, that's where it is. <laughs> 27 Barrow Street by uh, 7th Avenue. And and here it's a, it's it's simply it's a commercial economy. It's a commercial theater right. economy. It is always someone's money. It is always and there's always someone lined up to take the theater away from you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, they, and they hover. I think yeah. especially in the in the Broadway world, don't they? They they, they kind of hover. They say, oh, we've got Godspell. And we're, when we were closing Lombardi, the Godspell people were literally coming in and measuring things. Uh, I did that. I did that. So it was one of the most embarrassing things. I was working for uh, Manny Eisenberg, and we went to I don't remember what theater. It must have been the Nederlander. We went into the Nederlander where they were warm, where the couch was warming up for guys and dolls. And, and I was standing at the end of the day and I said, Oh, we could, we could take this railing out and we could put in the sidewalk for the high. And like, he just, he grabbed my Manny Eisenberg, you know, the great man, they grabbed my arm, dug it into my, <laughs> dug it into my hand and said, Good, you know, somebody stretch, some, you know, wonderful dancer, Nick Adams was stretching, <laughs> you know, it was not. It was a lesson in shut your face. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, let me ask you this. We mm. did a reading of Tribes. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that was. I mean, a little over a year it ago? It was just around a year ago, yeah. And the producers were there. And, uh, and was that reading to hear the play out loud? Did you know that you were going to do the play at that point? Or was that decision still in the future? The, the, uh, I think we felt really strongly about it. They, this is one of the things that happened. We, I was asked to read it and I read, uh, uh, I usually am asked to read something and I take about six months and don't read it. Uh, in this case, I actually got it done and I read it and I was really, really moved by it. I mean, there were three or four, three or four moments that just punched me right, reached out of the page and just punched me right mm-hmm. in the face. And I cried multiple times while reading the play. And there was something I couldn't quite put my hand on. There was some confusion about, I was confused in the second act. I was confused with some plot point. Something wasn't quite right. It's a thing you do when it's a new play. If it's an established play, everyone goes, oh, it's a masterpiece. If it's a new play, everyone says, well, I don't know what it is, but it needs changes. Mm-hmm. And Gene Domanian and Patrick Daly and Scott Morphy and Tom Worchafter, who are our lead producers on this, uh, they all said, oh, I think it's in the first act. I think the issue is in the second act. I, I'm a little confused about this. So everyone had an opinion about about what needed doing and I slowly started to realize and I'm the the main culprit here but I started to realize in the course of this meeting that none of us had read it recently enough to really articulate what our issues were so we were sort of all I don't want to speak for them I felt like we were all faking our, our what, what the problem was they'll all they're gonna kill me uh, uh <laughs> And so I said, let's do this. I said, I think we might all be faking. Let's do this. Let's all be in the same room. Let's read it out loud. And then immediately afterwards, Mm. experiencing it together, then we can talk about what we're confused about. It was just a, it was just a gift. So, you know, readings are a strange thing. Sometimes you do it, as you said, because you know you're going to do it. Sometimes you do it to find out whether you like it or not. I think we all knew we, we, that it was special, that it was a special Mm -hmm. play. I think we all knew that there was something. It was a subject that had not been talked about in exactly this way, that had not been used to communicate such a beautiful, larger uh, right. issue about communication and how just how how all, just the limitations of of uh, of how we talk, even to the people we love the most, and and um, and uh, is that what it's about? That sounds that sounds good, doesn't it's, it? Make it's you want to one it? of the things it's about because it it resonates with people so much yeah. because you're a little bit like a fly on the wall and saying, oh, I'm getting to see what it's like to be deaf. What, what is it like in a deaf person's world? What what challenges do they have? And on the other hand, and um, a bigger hand, it's a family. You're looking at a family all the time on stage, and and when almost any time you put a family on stage, people see their own family. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether it's August Osage County or Lone Day's Journey or Tribes. It's like, oh my God, and there and, none, and nobody's family that I know is really like the family in Tribes. But it's, oh my God, yes, we're oh we're academics around the house. That's the oh we all that conversation, all the people, everybody screaming, talking at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and it, and it works, and I think it really works in that level because it's just this idea of of how do you deal with communication? That's the bigger idea, but the smaller it is just focusing on a deaf person. Um, that's just not been done very often dramatically in plays or movies, or you know, you have I don't know, you have Hard as a Lonely Hunter or something. I mean, you have it every now and then, but I remember reading and thinking this is an, an important play just because it's it's different, and the fact that people are still. Coming out, uh, you know, and, and, you know, really are, are moved by it on many levels. And, 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 uh, and, and many people love the whole thing and many people say, oh, what I, but I'll tell you, everybody talks about it. That's mm-hmm. the best thing is I, I had somebody, you know, stop me. They, they actually dropped me a line on Facebook. Someone I did not know said after we talked about that for an hour when mm-hmm. we got out of the theater. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's almost the best thing you can ever hear as opposed to, you know, like, 
you know, should we take the A or the one? Right. You know, we don't want to talk about the play. Yeah. The thing that's always sort of continues to fascinate me about it is how little I knew about the subject, but also how the, that that doesn't just mean I didn't know anything about that subject. I, I've observed in endless conversations with people how little we know about anything outside our own tribe. Right. Very often how 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 the the extent to which we simplify any group with an with an identifying characteristic mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. like that as if they're all the, the 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 one i love is is um and i'm the chief culprit here is um it's an english play it's a british play so the play was written all the sign language in the play and all the discussion about sign language is based on bsl british sign language and so we made the decision that we would um even though it is a British play and we've left it in its original setting, that we would use ASL, American Sign Language, in the play so that audiences who spoke, who, who, who signed that language would be able to understand it. And at the point when I'm saying this, some of the people who are listening, if anyone is listening, uh, and <laughs> anyone, uh, anyone I talk to starts their, you see their, uh, their brow furrow because they want to say what I said, which is I wasn't aware there were two <laughs> sign languages. Right. Which just raises the issue. There's not a universal sign language. And are there, are by there the more than two? Hope. Well, there would, I mean, is there, there must French be one in every language. language. Or, yes, there must be one in every language because it's a language that develops in a in in a country. Yeah. Uh, there must be multiple. There might be there might, and I, I'm certainly no authority on this, but that that you that I've simplified the idea that oh, th- whoever all the deaf people in the world got together, settled on one language, right, right. <laughs> Like, Which just makes no sense. I mean, sense. I went in thinking, I just, yeah. like it said in the play, I mean, I went in thinking, well, if you're deaf, then you know sign. I mean, yeah. I ignorantly yeah. thought that was the case. I didn't realize there are many deaf people that choose not to sign quite mm-hmm. quite clearly and quite seriously, and that there are camps and divisions. I'm, I'm like, all of this, you know, I learned. Yeah. And, and and then working with Russell, you know, I've never, I've never worked with a deaf actor before. I just found out a week or two ago when we had a talk back that Russell has never been in a play where he was the only deaf actor. Oh. He's, he's, cause somebody asked him about what, what it was like performing in the round. And he said, you know, I've done a lot of deaf theater and sometimes half the cast is deaf. I've never been the only deaf person. But the thing is, when you do deaf theater, you never put your back to the audience. It's considered rude and almost comical. It's just simply not done. So he had to get used to the idea that his back was to people. And he said once he got used to it, he loved it. He just, you know, he loves working that way now. But he had never done it before. And I'd never worked with a deaf actor before. And I immediately felt handicapped. Yeah. I thought, if you want to talk about handicapped, I'm the guy that's handicapped. He knows sign and I don't. Yeah. You know, he knows two languages and I don't. And and so I was very tentatively. And he's about the nicest guy in the world, you know, and that helps. But I I found it hard. Patient. He was very patient with us. He's very patient. (laughs) And you have to realize that, you know, that his challenges mirror the the character's challenges in the play. I mean, if everybody is talking at the same time, he can only do so much, yeah, you yeah. know. And that's the what we do mm-hmm. as as people, and and we do even within our own little sect. You know, we say no, no. There's four of us, but you and I are having this conversation right now, and yeah. and I and I know you're over there, and 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 we we're always excluding people, and so I think. That reaches people about the play too. They're like, oh my god, that's I feel like that. I feel like the outsider. Mm-hmm. Because everybody feels like that at one time. And everyone has, I mean, I'm not trying to take, I mean, obviously th- that's an extreme situation, but it, it, it breaks down every, it breaks down every, you, you can't get everything. You can't see everything. You can't hear everything. You can't receive everything. Even if you do hear, see, you know, smell, taste, every single thing. 
your brain might not be able to take it in at one point. You miss something. You always miss something. So we're always playing this kind of catch up in all communication. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and it's a, it's, it's a yeah. strange thing. I, I guess, I, guess I, even more so these days. I mean, now that we're texting and Facebooking and emailing and, and we're missing a lot mm-hmm. because unless you're really talking to somebody, you don't know how what you said just landed on them. Yeah. And and uh, we're doing a little less of that. But we've never known. I mean, people have never known. That's the other thing. I feel so strongly about the play because in an incredibly specific way, it articulates the idea that we're always playing catch up. We're always lost. There's always we're we're always isolated in our own head. We're always we're everything is always interpretation. I'm always mm-hmm. interpreting your behavior, interpreting your interest, interpreting your lack of interest, interpreting your you know your eye roll, you're turning your back to me. Uh, whatever happens is it's guessing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a strange thing. I, I um just made me think of the one of the, the sort of the family things is is uh, I've directed a lot of plays about with parents and children, and I feel completely unqualified because I don't have any. <laughs> right. You know, or my hiding position is always that parenting is just calculated guessing. You oh, know? sure. Yeah. It's, it's just improv, you know. I mean, it's just, a, it's a constant, it's a constant game of improv. And, and I know that, I know that feeling. I mean, I've, you know, I've played a lot of parts and it's generally never bothered me. But when I did a one man show where I was a Vietnam vet and I walked on stage and said, and I said, welcome, it's 1966. I'm 18 years old. That bothered me because I thought people are going to look at me and know he's not a Vietnam vet, really. He's mm-hmm. not, he couldn't have been 16. And that bothered me. And I thought, well, and, and then I, I think I was talking to Austin about it, our friend Austin Pendleton. He said, you know, give yourself permission. You, you know, if you walked on stage and said you were a fireman, you know, mm-hmm. people would believe you were a fireman and you would know you weren't. It's really nothing different. So in the same way that you're saying, you know, you're really not a parent, you know of the similar situations that come up and you know of the tensions and the communications that come up. And so it, it, you certainly, you have to be qualified to do it. Question came up, you know, when we were doing the sound check, I just quoted Raising the Sun, which is just a play that I, you know, have been exposed to endlessly through since college and I just always love and when it's on TV, I you know, make a point to watch it and, um, when the, when the film is on TV and, and, uh, there's things we can take a stab at and there's things we can't take a stab at. You know, there's things we can take a stab at understanding and we can't take a stab at understanding. Mm-hmm. I think that a, a hearing actor could be very effective in, say, Russell's role, but it's not going to have anywhere near the weight and authenticity that it's going to have with his experience. Uh, I, I, uh, he has a tremendous presence on stage. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, you know, hearing or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, no, he's just a he's great really actor. incredible. And he also, and, and, well, and his challenge too would was also. Would he be good as like, like, uh, like Lenny and of Mice and Men? Yeah, he'd be fantastic. To, I mean, that's, I mean yeah. he probably would want to do more of that. I mean, just reg- give him a regular part. Yeah. You know, not yeah. a guy that happens to be deaf. And he, yeah. he'd be wonderful in so yeah. many things. Oh, that's a great idea, actually. You see? Um, you yeah. happen see what happens here. <laughs> All right. I <laughs> want right. a little piece of that if <laughs> it happens. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just sort of using Russell as an example or, or raising the sun example, which is a play that I think that if I wanted to direct that, I think that that would be sort of like, well, that's, is it, how, how far away from my, how far away from my experience is that and how right. authentic or inauthentic does that get? I mean, this is an incredibly fraught subject, which I'm now horribly sorry I brought up, but like, no, you, you, but find you, you your mentioned way the Vietnam, yeah, but, but you mentioned the Vietnam that's thing, right. which is like, well, are there things where you feel like, as an actor, are there things that you shouldn't get near? Hmm. Maybe not just you, one, like in a larger sense. Do you think there are things there's you think people, everyone should take a bash at, whatever? I think it's, a, it's a, certainly easier if you just say everyone should take a bash at it. Yeah. I think as I've, I think I've, I've gotten older, I've got a little less, 
I don't, I mean, it's not a, not proud to say this, probably less daring, less, less adventurous, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, I would, I would thought, oh, I want to do everything. And then, yeah. you know, the order I got, you know, well, these things, you know, seem to suit me particularly well, and nobody's giving me the other things anyway. Yeah. You know, so I will, <laughs> I will concentrate on these things I'm, yeah. I'm getting cast on. But, you know. They so rarely ask me to sing. Yes, yeah. they will. <laughs> they will. It's, that's going to come up. Actually, I'm going to jump tracks for a second because okay. it was something I'd set out to to ask about, and it is, um, you know, I'll I'll grind the conversation to a halt by saying, you know, you, uh, I was glad to do this because you're one of my favorite actors, and I, I'm glad I've gotten a chance to work with you as much as I have. When we were talking originally about uh, when we met, I remember like how long, I, how many times, you know, stupid little plays, but like how often I would go, like if I could get that guy in my play, if I get that actor in my play, then then I'd have some. The thing would have some gravitas. It have like wouldn't be a bunch of kids running around. It'd be like like um and uh, and. Uh, You've always had such a fascinating attitude about it. Because I remember one time when I have always considered you were past me an accomplishment, and and always considered you a very established actor, and and all, you were always working, and you were always doing interesting things. And then every couple of years, you'd say like, "Well, I just went on. A, I went on. You'd go out on the general auditions. You'd say like, "Well, yeah. they're not. I know you have enormous pride, and I know you have the, the way we all do uh, some some fragility in your ego. But ultimately, you would go like, I can't be too proud to just go back out and go on general auditions for people I've played great roles for. Yeah. You just go out and do it again. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just you can't sit around and and complain about just not being called. You know, you'd have to say, "Well, then, then let me just be aggressive about it." And that actually really never worked because I. The, I would go to Dennis Ochick at Victory Gardens or, or Janet at Northlight or any of these places where I'd worked, and they would say, Jeff, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. They'd say, we, we can just talk for three minutes. We don't need to see you do a piece. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I thought I was actually trying to be proactive. But, yeah, you do. You can't. It's funny. I mean, you, you know, somebody else, is, somebody else always looks a little more accomplished than you. Yeah. You know, um, so I bet the best thing is to stop thinking that. You know, and just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I don't think I've ever enjoyed doing anything as much as I'm enjoying doing tribes right really? now. And I think it is partly it's it's a it's a familiarity with you, with Barrow Street, with uh, you know, w- with really really liking the piece and whatever's going on in my personal life, which you know is is a whole other thirty minute segment <laughs> at right. least. That's right. Um, when does that segment begin? Yeah, yeah that's a, yeah, probably <laughs> that's right. at, at the bar. Um, but I but yeah, I've n- I've never enjoyed it so much. It's just it's just it's it's really a great thing to be a part of it's hard it's hard you know like i look at different things every time i go back and look at it and i was noticing the other night when i was watching it that that it 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 looks like a comfortable place to sit mm-hmm. on, on stage even though some of the, the the arguments are quite fraught it sort of looks like a comfortable room it's, to be in it, it you oh I, I i'm consistently forgetting i'm in a play which is my favorite thing in the world to do when i'm in a yeah. play and it really, especially when you're sitting around that dinner table, you are simply sitting around a dinner table with all of your partners, with all of your mates, and mm-hmm. and uh, you are just, you know, you're talking and listening, and that's all you're doing. And and the audience is eavesdropping, which is great, which is what they should be doing. And it's been great. All right. So it's, so it's turn, so things are turning out okay. Things are turning out okay at the moment. <laughs> Everything's it's, going to be just fine. Everything, yes. <laughs> if it weren't for yes, tribes has saved 2012 for me. As we look back on this year, I will say it's it's it tribes has, and I've worked for you all year now because it's coming after our town in Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's my my year with David. Yeah, that's right. My year that's with right. Chromie. Well, we've done how many plays have we done? I I, I lose count. Golden Boy Golden and Boy. The Price, Ocean, Ocean Shadows, Shadows three. Adam Machine is four, Our Town is five, Tribes is six, at least six, at and least then six, one or two yeah. that we're forgetting. 
Yeah, I wonder, if what there that, are. wonder what that is. I don't know. Well, so, we did so, Orson Shadow six or seven times. Yes, so, that we, yes. So, that, until we got it right. That's the one. <laughs> and then never again. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I thought that closing performance was we really nailed it. Yeah, yeah. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. This is the most fun form. since since we flew first class by accident. And, and that that not an empty plane <laughs> at, at eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> at eleven o'clock at night. Uh, uh, going back to, go. to Chicago from yeah, uh, we yeah. had the whole cabin. There were eighteen uh, first class seats on yeah. a plane, and we upgraded in the yeah. middle of the night. And we sat there. We each had our own steward. Yeah, we did yeah, yeah, we had plenty yeah. of attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, great to talk to you. I really yes. appreciate it. I want to thank the American Theater Wing and I want to thank Downstage Center for inviting us to do this and giving us the opportunity to plug our show. Tribes. As well. Tribes. Barrow Street Theater. Barrow Street. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. I'm Heather Hitchens, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. I hope you enjoyed today's edition of Downstage Center. Downstage Center is recorded in the CUNY TV radio studio at the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism in Manhattan. Our engineer for today's show is Chad Bernhard. Along with this program, all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free at americantheaterwing.org. If you're a regular listener to or viewer of Wing programs, we hope you'll consider giving us financial support to sustain our work. Just visit our website, americantheaterwing.org, and click Support ATW. For Downstage Center and the American Theatre Wing, thanks for your support and thanks for listening.